All right, if you have uh, your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn in them to Joshua chapter 1. If you have your copy of the story, go ahead and turn in it to uh, chapter 7. Uh, if you're new to NBC, what we're doing is we're going through with a, a kind of a mission to help us understand the timeline of Scripture and the story that God is telling from Genesis to Revelation. And so what we've got in that is we've taken, um, there's portions taken out of Genesis all the way through to help us understand chronologically what God is doing. And they're all in this book called The Story. And the story, it has all the text we're going to be preaching through for the year with some commentary in between there. Um, if you want to pick up a copy, they're five bucks over by the guest hub. If you don't have five bucks, but you really would like to get into it, just steal it. I won't tell anyone. Just grab it, run it's fast. And uh, that's totally okay. And then this week, start reading chapter eight. Because what we do is we read a chapter during the week, and then we learn about it the following week. And this week, we're going to be all about uh, the ch uh, chapter 7, which is talking about the battle beginning. Um, and then I want to encourage you to bring your copy with you um, each week so that you could just take your notes right on inside with any questions that you have. And then by April, you'll be able to have, again, um, not only a copy of everything we preached through, but your own notes on it. And so that's definitely going to be something uh, that'll be a win. So uh, turn in uh, to page 89 if you have your copy or Joshua chapter chapter 1, verse 5, if you don't. And while you're turning there, um, just to give you kind of a recap from where we've been so far, um, we've been talking about how God's story that he tells through Scripture starts here in the Middle East. It actually starts um, probably over towards Iran. And then pretty soon therein, we have God calling this guy Abraham, who's a pagan from a pagan family, and saying, you're going to be my representative. You're going to be the one who's going to be the kickstarter of this national program that I have that's, that's going to be my people. Now, in order to have a nation, you have to have three things. You need to, what, what are three things that you would need to have for a nation? What's that? A leader or some type of government, governing system. Okay. What else? What's that? Yeah, that's kind of important. People are important to have a nation. Otherwise, it's a nation of you, and that's just awkward. Okay, so you need to have people. You need to have a system of government, and you also need to have something else. Oh, well, we all got that one. Good, land. All right, so we start off with God promising the, the, that this is going to happen, but he's talking to a guy who's got no kids, and he's like pushing 100. But then all of a sudden, God's promise surfaces, and Isaac is born, and then Jacob is born to Isaac, and then Jacob has uh, 12 sons, and, um, and one of the sons' name is Joseph. And just when you think that God's plan is going to materialize here in this Canaanite area that we know today as Israel, all of a sudden, that primary kid, Joseph, gets exported as a slave out to Egypt. And in Egypt, in Ramses, in that, that area right there, he actually saves the day, um, rescues Egypt um, through insight that God gives him. And in that, in so doing, all of a sudden, they say, listen, all 70 people in your family, all your 12 brothers and their family and everything else, all you guys can come on out. It's probably right around 70 to 100 people that were moving on out to Goshen. And so now we all of a sudden have the people, and the people are starting to grow exponentially. 400 years go by, and in the midst of that time, they become slaves. Uh, the, the, whole, the whole people of the Hebrews, but we still have an exponential amount of people that are unified in their people group, and they are, we've got the people side. The next thing is that once Moses liberates them, they get over to Mount Sinai where they have given their system of government. God is their king. He gives them 633 laws that are summarized in the Ten Commandments. And so now we only need one thing left. What is that? We got the people, we got the government, what do we need? Land. So God directs them out to Kadesh Barnea, as Pastor Jason talked about last week, or Kadesh Barnea. And they're right on the brink of the promised land, and God says, go for it. And the people are like, not so fast. We want to make sure about this. And so they send spies in the land. 
Joshua and Caleb and, and others come out saying everything God said was true, but there were some people who said, yeah, but the people over there are ginormous. There's no way that we could go and take them on. They've got, they're more populated, bigger than us, better resourced. We are a minority movement with not skilled weapons, not skilled army. We're toast. We are going to get creamed by these people. Let's just say no. And God says, okay, I can't, I can't bless your sin. I can't give you the promised land when you're rejecting it. So I'm going to allow you to live out the consequences of that. And all of a sudden, they start ping-ponging around East Jordan and that whole area right there, basically just escaping the promise that God had given them until 40 years had passed and all the people from that generation had died, including Moses, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, because those were the guys who said, let's do this. And so now Joshua, Joshua has a youth group a youth group of people that were born in the wilderness or, or kids at the time, and then they're about to go into this land. Forty years later, they're back at Kadesh Barnea. Forty years later, they're at the end of that chapter of life, ready to start a new chapter, a new chapter that they know is going to be a battle. And you might be there too. And you might be in a situation where, honestly, you look back on the last chapter of your life as a failure. A failure that may be so great that you're wondering if this last failure is going to be so great that it's going to speak into your future. Like, I don't know if I could go, f is, is this, has this branded me? Am I like tattooed with this across my face for the rest of my life that this failure happened and for the rest of my days, I'm going to be walking with the ghost of that choice or those choices or that chapter. You may be at Kadesh Barnea right now where you're like going, okay, is the next chapter going to be different? And so God calls Joshua to lead this people and reaffirms to them the reality that they're now walking in, that this group, this generation could actually be a, write a different chapter than the previous one. And that it was going to all revolve around their relationship, what they remember about their connection with God. He tells them, you're going to be a people of the book, that, that this is going, you're going to have the law and don't turn from it. We see that actually right there in that passage. If you have your Bibles or your copy of the book, uh, of the story, go to the beginning of chapter 7, or this is J uh, Joshua chapter 1. And go ahead and just look down until it says, be strong and very courageous. This is past, this is probably verse 6 or so. Be and this is a second paragraph if you're in the story. God says to, to Joshua, be strong and very courageous. Be, very, be careful to obey all the law all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then, then you'll be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Why was he telling that to, to Joshua? Because Joshua was discouraged. He was totally scared. He was freaked out. Moses has always been the guy. Now it's me. And I saw how hard and difficult it was with Moses. Am I going to be in that same place? How is this going to be different? And God says, this is how it's going to be different. You're going to be a people of the book. That law that I gave to Moses, you guys got to live it. Flesh it out. Don't simply look at it and walk the other way. Flesh it out. You're a people of the book. When you go into battle, 
you're going to be a people of prayer. It's going to be not your mightiest warriors on the front line. It's going to be the Ark of the Covenant carried by the priests. And we know the priests can't fight. Those guys are lame. And you're carrying this big old heavy clunky piece of furniture in. That's going to make no sense to no one. But it's going to be perfect sense to you because of the fact that that is a picture of the fact that this is not your agenda. This is not your battle. This is me going ahead of you. This is me going before you. When they get across the Jordan, they get to a place called Gilgal. And all of a sudden, um, Joshua, uh, God has Joshua tell everyone else, okay, good news, bad news. Good news, we're the people of God. Bad news, all the dudes, we have to get circumcised. That's bad news when you're older than eight days, right? Or something like that. So that, that's something that, that this was a, and this was something that God said, this is going to be a physical sign that's going to set you apart. And everyone's like, but we never have had to do that. And, and that's true. They didn't. In the wilderness, they did not, they, circumcision did not happen. But that was something that God told Abraham. Again, the guy who he promised this is going to be a nation. This is going to be a physical sign for you as my people. You're going to be set apart because of this. This is a sign. And again, as John Orpark has said, what kind of a sign is this? I mean, Abraham had to be like, this is the sign. You gave Noah a rainbow. This is my sign. And so now all these guys are like, okay, we are going to, and, and to this, it was such an important thing that to this day, Jewish people, that is a big deal to them. Why? Because this is a constant reminder of our connection with God. If you're a male, you don't have to look far to remember that you have a connection to God physically, right? And so this is something that, that was, and, and it's something that Paul struggled when he was talking with his people, the Jewish people, when all of a sudden there's these new people who are followers of the Messiah, Jesus, and telling them, listen, let's not impose upon them all these things like circumcision. That's not necessary any longer. Jesus is our identifier. We were part of Abraham. These people are part of Abraham's seed without circumcision being necessary. But it was so important because, again, that was an identifier. When they cross the Jordan, all of a sudden they take um, stones from the bottom because God makes it dry. During flood stage, he makes the Jordan River dry and they take out stones from the bottom and they stack them representing the tribes, basically God's protection of the people so that when some little kid years down the road would walk by and go, what is up with this? They would say, oh, let me tell you the story about what happened on that day. God showed up in a way that we had a chance to watch. And this is to help us remember the type of God that we're following. And whenever we forget, we can come back to this place and remember. The thing that I see in the the conquest of the land, that God is conditioning his people to remember who he is. And this is what I believe is so applicable for us today as we're reading this passage. Because we may not be going into a battle, right? But you are at a point where you might be at your Kadesh Barnea ready to go step into the next chapter and saying, will this chapter be any different from the chapter before? Will the battles that I fight going forward be battles that are fought with God or in isolation? We need to remember what, they, what God was calling them to remember. And the first thing that God was calling them to remember was the fact that his provision is enough, that his provision is enough um, this was something that every one of those people, all, all the millions of people going into the, the promised land already knew. They already had a chance to see this, but they were called to remember it. 
uh, God provided for them while they were in the wilderness. This is called the manna principle. And the manna principle is basically this, that, that um, when each day they're in the desert, they, they were in a location where they were enslaved. And I don't think the food was nearly as good as they like remembered it to, it to be. Like It was amazing. We had onions and spices and it was delicious. It was not gourmet, but at least it was there. Now they're, they're on their own. And they're like, we're wandering in the desert. How are we supposed to have food? And God says, well, I'm bringing you through the desert. And I'm going to showcase to you that I am your provider. And so he gives them manna. And what does manna mean? It means, what is it? it literally. I mean, it's like, that's, that's the, I think that's the coolest thing in the world. God, God gives them something is like, I don't know. You know, and it's like people, it's like, what is it called? That's it. I don't know. You know and what is it? And it's this idea, like, 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 if you imagine, like, every time you woke up in the morning, the dew outside, instead of it being dew, it's like frosted flakes. One time when I preached about this, I, I was throwing frosted flakes in the audience, and I I'm so frustrated that I forgot to do that this time. But just imagine going out, and people would gather it. But God said, listen, you're only gathering enough for one day, which makes no sense at all. Like, why should, let's, let's, let's save it. Let's, let's store it for the journey. God's like, no, I'm conditioning you that you are putting your trust not in your stuff or your supply, but in your Savior. I want you to put your trust and your security in me and the fact I'm conditioning you. And not that saving is a bad thing. I'm conditioning you, though, you as my people in this period of time to know that I am your provider and I give you just enough every day. If they took more than enough, if they took two days supply or three days supply, it would rot, which is awesome. I think it's so, because people are like, okay, the only way that this is going to work is if I trust that God's going to give me just enough. And by the end of the day, that supply is gone. And I know that when I wake up the next day, he's going to give me enough to get through that day. I had an opportunity this past week on Thursday and Friday to talk to about 200 um, high school students from Minooka Community High School in their outdoor ed. Um, Mr. Bo, Jason Bo, invited me to talk to them during their backpacking uh, segment of their class. And so I got a chance to talk to them about a backpacking trip I took with these guys um, back in August. From left to right, that's Eli, crazy eyes. And there's Josh Graber. There's my brother Josh um, McFadden, two years younger than me, the lawyer. And uh, there's Larry right there, and then there's me. And the trip that we took was phenomenal. We were in five days in the Sierra, hiking 71 miles over mountain ranges and uh, alpine lakes, and it was unbelievable, but it was incredibly difficult. All of us tried to get ready for it physically, but we were not ready for the elevation shift because we started at 8,500 feet and we went up to 12,000, and 8,500 feet is like, like compared to Manuka, it's like 8,500 feet difference or something. I mean, Manuka's like... One, I don't know, but it was like, it was big and it, and it impacted all of us. But one person it impacted specifically was this guy right here. This is Larry. Everyone say, hi, Larry. You just said hi to a picture. All right, that's Larry. Now, Larry, Larry's a manager at, at Lowe's and a graphic designer on the side. And I asked him if I could share this story. And he said, yeah, absolutely. Um, Larry, Larry gets on to, as, for, as soon as we started hiking, Larry's just like, like, just like, you can tell he's super psyched and he's stoked about it. But as we're walking along, we look and we, we don't know where Larry is. And then a couple minutes would go by and then Larry would come around the corner. He's like, oh, hey, guys. I was just taking pictures. Awesome stuff back there. We're like, oh, yeah, I totally get it. No problem. Let's keep going. So we keep on walking. About 20, 30 minutes later, where's Larry? And he comes around the corner. He's like, hey, guys, I, I'm slow. 
Like, oh, that's cool, man. It's like, no, no, I'm slow. I'm going to be the weak, I am the weak link of the five of us. I'm like, Larry, no, that's cool, man. It's like, no, seriously, man, I feel like such an idiot. Larry, it's okay. No, man, I wanted to lose 40 pounds for this trip, and I lost 20, and I felt really good about that. Then my wife and I went on a cruise. I gained 15 pounds right back, and I was like, oh, but I got five pounds, and I thought that was enough. I thought that I had done the work, and I went into this, but then all of a sudden I realized I don't have enough, I'm, I'm, and I'm, just, I'm slow, and I'm dragging you guys. I'm like, Larry, it's okay. He's like, no. I'm like, no, Larry, it's okay. We are all going to get through this. We're going to stay together because we don't know if something bad's going to happen, and we may need to start to eat each other. We need you, man. Come on. <laughs> and my brother Josh right then is like, okay, I don't want to hear anyone complaining about this. This was a voluntary backpacking trip. I warned you how difficult this was going to be. You all knew what this was going to entail, and you, yeah, now you're complaining? I just leaned over to Larry. I'm like, we'll eat him first. <laughs> As I was talking to the high school students, I was showing, we were out in McKinley Woods, and, and it's cold. I mean, Friday was really cold. And it's like, they're like just like... And I'm like showing them pictures of the gear that, that I used and everything else. And, and I, I'm showing them pictures of the trip too. And this was my favorite picture I showed them. This was three days into the trip. Look how happy Larry is. Um, Larry, I didn't know that this was going to end up being my favorite picture from the trip. I didn't know that until day five when we came into Yosemite Valley. We finished the 71 miles and we were celebrating. And, and I, we were going through pictures and he said, oh, that picture... That was an important point for me. And then he explained that it was right there that he made a, a distinct decision about the trip. He was very close to tapping out because he didn't have anything left. And he was going to get a shuttle from, that's the resupply location. That's the only point in our whole journey that we had civilization. I mean, we came in, there's a, uh, the guys had mailed themselves resupply buckets. So they didn't have to carry five days of food on their back. And so they were able to pick up their food. We were able to get some food there at a little um, cafe. And it was amazing. And, and have a, a toilet has never looked so beautiful. But it, it was great there. And so we were, we were three days in and, and enjoying that. And um, at that resupply location, he said, you remember when we were at the resupply location at Tuolumne Meadows? And we're like, yeah. He's like, when that picture was taken, that's when I made the decision not to take a shuttle from Tuolumne Meadows all the way to the end point and meet you guys at the end in Yosemite Valley. Up until that point, I was saying, when we get to the resupply location, I'm done. I have nothing left to give. He said, but it was when this picture was taken, it was just right around that time that I made the decision to remember. So I remembered something that we were talking about on the trail the previous day. The previous day, Larry and I were talking, and he was like, sometimes I just like, I get panic attacks when I'm thinking about how much walking, how many miles we have ahead of us, and how hard it is now, knowing it's going to get harder. And I was like, and I, you know, I'm a pastor, so I got all pastor on him, you know. And I'm like, Larry, like, remember the Bible? And he's like, yeah. Like, remember, like, with the Hebrews, like, they were, like, wandering in the wilderness, and, and God gave them manna, and he's like, yeah. And so remember how God didn't give them enough for two days or three or four or five, but, but enough for one at a time? He's like, yeah. And so remember how, what God was trying to do with that? He, he was trying to help them understand that they, can, they need to trust him. Just, and, and not trust him for more than one day, but just trust him for enough for one day. And that God would supply them with enough for one day, one day at a time. He's like, and? I said, well, maybe that's you. I mean, you don't have enough to get through this trip. He's like, thanks a lot. I mean, no, no, no offense. But like, maybe 
Like, you don't. You, maybe you don't have enough to get through five days of hiking. Maybe you don't have enough to get through two. But what if you, like, trusted God to give you enough to get through one? Like, just one. Like, don't, don't, you're not going to make it to Yosemite Valley, but you, you can make it to your pillow tonight. And when you put your head on your pillow in your tent tonight, you'll have expended all of your resources, all of your energy. You've got nothing left. Nothing to hope for, nothing, except for that God will supply you when you wake up the next day and you take your head off your pillow and you have enough for one more, not two, not three, not enough to get to Yosemite Valley, but enough for one more day. And he told us when we were in Yosemite Valley that it was at Tuolumne Meadows at the resupply location that he said, okay, I'm going to trust God just one day at a time for the strength to get me through. I, I, ta- I told this to the high school students, and then um, I brought them back to this picture um, from my Instagram, and I zoomed in on Larry's face. And this was the coolest thing, because I'm talking to freezing, cooler-than-school high school students who are just like, <sighs> and then all of a sudden I got that picture, and I zoomed in, and I said, now check out Larry's face when we got to the valley. And I started walking by, and it was so cool to watch these hardened high schoolers just go, And I was like, why is Larry smiling? And they're like, because he made it. The truth is, the reason that he's smiling is because he realized that he made it in spite of himself, in spite of his excuses. He did it just by trusting that God would give him enough one day at a time. And the, and the cool thing is, is that we still have that. We, we have a God who promises us to be our provision that when we start to freak out about, we freak out because God doesn't give us the five-year plan. He doesn't give us the one-year plan. He doesn't give us the one-month plan sometimes. So, but he'll give you enough for the day. When we, if in your last chapter where you, you've had some failures and you look back and say, some of the failures came because I fell into temptation. Areas where I knew that I, I, I areas I shouldn't have gone, but I went. Or things that I shouldn't have done, but I did. And I'm looking back and I'm feeling like absolute shame about this. And I'm like, I, I don't have enough I don't have enough power to resist this temptation. This will be a lifer for me. The temptation may be a lifer for you, but succumbing to the temptation doesn't have to be. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that no temptation has overtaken you except for what's common to mankind, but that God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted... You will be tempted. All those failures came because you were, and you said, yep, let's do this. When you're tempted, when you're tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. Can you resist the temptation you have right now for a week? No. Maybe you will, and you'll be so excited, then you'll fall into the, the, the same temptation the next day. You don't have enough to go the distance, but you have enough to get through one day with God's help. He is your provision. He is your strength. Some of you, it's not temptation, but like honestly, right now, the stress, your sanity itself is being threatened. And you're like, honestly, whether you're in junior high or you're 80 years old, we struggle with anxiety about different things and how stressful, busy, or or fear-based our life can be. And yet we have a God who promises to be our provision. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are what? Weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you what? rest. I will give you rest. Don't put your hope in in your five-year plan. Don't put your hope in your bank account, your your salary, your family, your relational status. These things will all go up and down and disappoint. Put your hope in me who you can trust one day at a time. And when you bring your head off your pillow tomorrow, he'll give you just enough to get through Monday. 
His provision is enough. Not only is his provision enough, his power is the point. Um, In this time of conditioning the next generation of Israel, uh, the next chapter of their history, the reality that we follow God and his strength was forefront in their minds. He was constantly letting them know about this. Go to page um, 100. This is, at, um, at, this is right around Joshua 23. So this is the end of the, of the military campaign. They've come into the land, they've fought the battles, and they saw God show up. And the cool thing is this. If you talk to a veteran, whether they're a veteran of a, of a war or, or a veteran of, of the industry that you're in, it's so cool to hear their stories and to hear like all, all the war stories, all the ups and downs when they thought things were going to go just sideways and explode in their face and all of a sudden something happened and they're just telling you war story after war story. When veterans tell stories, you lean in. So Joshua, the veteran, is telling the story at the end of his life. He watched Moses get old and die and now he's right there ready to pass baton himself and this is what he says. This is a about halfway through or quarter way through the top paragraph on page 100. Um, Or if you've got your Bibles, it's um, Joshua 23, starting with verse 2. He says this, I am very old. If you want a Bible verse to memorize, folks, and it applies, that's a great one. I am very old. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. And this is the key part. It is was the Lord your God who fought for you. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Never for a second think that this was your strength. Never for a moment think that this was all you. And look back and remember how I wanted you to, how God wanted you to, to realize that. Look back at what he did right at the beginning of our story with the Jordan. When we crossed the Jordan at flood stage, this was something that was impassable without the power of the Almighty. We go up against Jericho, and Jericho is not like this massive military body going over to Jericho, and Jericho is like Rockdale. We're going to take out Rockdale. We're like the U.S. military. It wasn't that. It was this minority group of under-resourced people who did not have the rocket launchers, did not have the the, the tanks, and did not have the know-how going up against a military stronghold. Ancient cities like Jericho were not just a village where people are like children are playing in the courtyard. They were military compounds. Most people lived out in the villages outside. The military compounds were full of military might of experienced, brutal Canaanite warriors. And God has his people go up against Jericho. Jericho was impenetrable without the Almighty. And just to put an exclamation point on it, he said, and here's your military campaign. Don't fire an arrow. Don't throw a spear. I want you to hike around the city multiple times, playing musical instruments, and then shout real loud. That's not a military strategy. That's ridiculous. That's a Monty Python episode. That's not a military strategy. So why would God do it? To focus in on the reality that no one no one is going to say, it was Israel. They did an amazing job. And so everyone's going to say, Israel didn't have a prayer, but their God stepped in for them. Israel could not do it on their own, but God did it. It was impenetrable without the Almighty. AI, impossible with the Almighty. The Jordan was impassable, Jericho was impenetrable, and AI was impossible. And they saw it because Achan, 
as an individual who, who sinned against God. God, in all these military campaigns, he was saying, this is not a lottery ticket for you to go into these lands and start to fill your own pockets with the pillage, with all the plunder and pillaging it and just taking stuff for yourself. Anything that, that is retrieved from these cities is going to God and the treasury for him, not for us. And Achan did. He actually pocketed stuff. And so God said, okay, if you want to go this alone, AI is yours to take. And he steps back and he shows them what going it alone looks like. And they get creamed. And Joshua and the leaders are absolutely confused. God, you promised. You promised that you were going to be with us, that you were going to be for us, that we could, we could get, we, we, were, we were hoping in you. And then Achan's sin is surfaced. And Achan is executed. And if you're Joshua and his people, you're in that place where, where anyone is in their relationship where they go, man, things were going so amazing. And then that happened. That fight, that decision, that wrong. Things were still going so amazing at work. And then that happened. And I don't know if I could ever go back to being the way they were. After what was said, I don't know if we're ever going to be the way we were before that. And Joshua and his people are feeling that. And we were rocking with God. And now this, we've sinned against the Almighty. Is he going to kick us to the curb? And this is what is so cool. Again, it's his power that's the point. We come back, go ahead and go to page 94 in the story or uh, Joshua 8, 1. After Achan is executed, after they were creamed in Ai, and they think that they're, they're, they're totally discouraged. What does God say to them? He says this. This is a third paragraph down on 94. Then the Lord said to Joshua, do, again, if this sounds like an echo, it is. From the very first thing he said to him, he's reminding him again, do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. Why? Because I know you are. Why? Because you, you really should be. But I don't want you to sit in that shame. I don't want you, you, you understand, you've turned to me, and now I want to do something in you. He says this, take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai. For I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, and his city, and his land. God says to him, listen, I understand that you thought that that was a deal breaker. And you obviously see the consequences of trying to go in and do something alone when I step back and I pull back my power. But God shows his grace to the Israelites by saying, you thought that was the end of the story, but it's not. Go back. Go back now with my power. And the thing that we see that's so cool is this reality. When I saw this, I, I wrote this in the margin of, of my copy. We allow our past failures to destroy our future hope. We do this all the time. We look back on our past failures and we let that destroy our future hope. And that's very human, but it's not very biblical. The biblical reality is recognizing that when we fail, when we pull back and say, I'm going this alone, I'm rebelling against, against God, I'm going to be independent, we do live out and flesh out the ramifications of that. And all of us have scars on our soul from it. But we have in God is the God of grace who says, are you coming back? Because I'm not done with you. I'm not done with you. That thing that happened, happened. But I am the God of restoration and redemption. I am not done with you. Right after this, this is the coolest thing. Joshua says, okay, we're a people of the book. And he rereads all the 633 laws for the people. So they kind of have a reboot of understanding. This is who we are. How did we get away from this? And they come back to understanding that his provision is enough, that his power is the point, 
And finally, remembering that his promise is guaranteed. Go back to the, um, that part on page, uh, let's go to page 99. And uh, this is right around Joshua chapter 23. Uh, verses 14 and following. Um, we, we've got uh, in chapter nine, or on page 99, second to last paragraph, it says this. So Joshua took the entire land, just as the Lord had directed Moses, and gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal divisions. Then the land had what? Rest from war. Jump to the next page, the second paragraph down. Again, this is at the end of Joshua's life. Military leader who's, who's gone the way of everything God called him to do, and now he's, he's nearing the end. And he says this, Now I'm about to go the way of the earth. You know with your, all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise, every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. But just, and, and then he goes on from there. The thing that I love about Joshua saying that is this. He's talking about the fact that, listen, all of us got into this knowing every step was a risk. Every step, every decision we made following this God that we know is the one true God, everyone was something that was a challenge and was difficult. Every step. There wasn't one that was like an easy one. But now we're on the flip side of it. There were moments where we didn't know which direction it was going to go or where we thought that we had gone far too deep that we've gone far too far from God, but look at God's faithfulness now. Look at his grace now, and now we're here. We're on the flip side of all of that. And we can see that his promises are good. You could bank them. They're guaranteed. He's the great promise keeper, and we can trust him. And, and, and to put a, a, a fine point on it, he talks through, that now that we're going into the land, we're going to split this land up. And I just love how the land is split up. When you look at Israel... And then all of a sudden you see how they're directed to split up the land. You have all these different little divisions that when we're reading through the Old Testament have really weird names until you realize that each one of these names are the great grandkids of that guy who couldn't have kids at all that God promised a nation to. Abraham's great grandkids are all these kids except for uh, Ephraim and Manasseh. Ephraim and Manasseh, because you notice that Joseph isn't in there. after everything that he went through, Jacob, when, he about, when he's about to die, gives the blessing and the inheritance of land to his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. A lot of, and, and you don't see Levi up there because the Levites, um, that, that was going to be the priestly family. And so they didn't get a territory. Um, they got a tithe from the territories. Um, and so that's why there's two. Um, one of uh, Joseph's went to his two kids, one representing him and one representing the priests. But every time you read through the Old Testament, it's so easy for me sometimes when I'm reading through and it's like, oh yeah, and this guy came from Gad. Or this guy came from Zebulon or Naphtali. I'm like, what a weird name I can't pronounce. But very few times do I read through and I hear those names going, promise, promise, promise. Every one of these is God's promise kept, promise kept, promise kept. The goodness of God. It came 600 years after the promise. Not in Abraham's life. Not, not in his timeline, but God promised and he kept it. He promised and he kept it and he promised and he kept it. I love that. And they take the land and it's theirs. They have a nation that's built of people, a system of government, and the land that God had promised them. One of the, the territories that you see up there that gets a lot of airtime is this one right here. Um, Judah was not the eldest son. He was the fourth in line, but his, his elder siblings were super messed up. 
And so Jacob gives him um, kind of the blessing that would be given to one of the older kids or the oldest kid. And in, in Genesis chapter 49, he, he calls him like a little lion cub. And he said, the scepter from this little lion cub, Judah, will never leave your family. And out of, out of Judah, we see comes King David. King David, from the area of Judah, as Judah expanded, Judah is someone that gives, gives way to King David. And King David starts a lineage that ultimately leads us to King Jesus. The scepter ultimately reigns with him. He is the king. When we get to the book of Revelation, it calls Jesus the Lion of Judah. Have you heard that? The Lion of Judah? I'm like, what is that all about? The Lion of Judah is showcasing that he, Jesus, is the king. The king that we knew all along. In the book of Revelation, you hear actually in two verses, in Revelation chapter 5, verse is five, 5 and 6. First, it's talking about who can unlock, who can unroll this, who can break the seal of the scrolls. And it says, no one's worthy except for the Lion of Judah, talking about Jesus. Jesus is the Holy One. He is the one who comes in with our sin and fights the battle of our sin. If, if you are someone here today, whether you're a Christian or not, you need to know that you have a lion fighting for you. You have a king who is powerful and sovereign, and he has fought the battle of your sin. There's not a single thing that you have done that his power is not greater than. All of us need a lion. All of us need to know that he is in our corner, that he is for us, that, that he knows more than us, that we can lean in and trust him. He is the Lion of Judah. And the cool thing is this, is that the Old Covenant said that my, I obey God and God blesses me. I disobey God and he curses me. The New Covenant says this, we have broken our covenant with God. We have disobeyed him. We are cursed. But Jesus on the cross says, I'm taking your curse upon me and I'm holy and obedient and I'm going to give you the blessing. I take your curse. I give you my blessing. So now, now in the blessing, you're able to walk the life that you were intended to all along, enabled to actually live out my expectations and my call upon you. The Lion of Judah is someone who we can lean in for power and for strength that we know is in charge. But when we fail, we have the Lamb who was slain. That next verse, after talking about Jesus as the Lion of Judah, talks about the Lion, or probably the Lamb who was slain. Because all of us who have failed need a sacrifice. Jesus said, that sacrifice is me. Last night after the Saturday service, there was a mom back in the back, and she said, um, can, my, can I ask you a question? My daughter had a question on the way to church, and I wasn't sure how to answer it. And she said, and the daughter's question was, I, I was listening to a song about Jesus on the cross and how he suffered and died. Doesn't that mean that God is weak? I mean, God was weak, and he was, people put him on a cross. And I said, oh, that's such a good question. I wish more parents asked that question. It's an amazing question. Here's the answer. Yes, but this is how it works. We have the Lion of Judah who has fought our sin, and, and he is triumphant. And he allowed himself in his strength to become weak for us, the weak, to make us strong. And we see how powerful and triumphant he is because he rose again. If you're a Christian today, you recognize that you need the lion and the lamb. There's no one greater than the Almighty. He is, he is someone we follow, and when we fail him, he has made provision. Our, our, our hope in that is to walk differently, that we walk as victorious individuals out there because of what the lion of Judah, the lamb who was slain, Jesus has accomplished for us. We're going to end this service um, 
by singing a song that we, we started singing last week. And I, honestly, whenever I hear this song, I just absolutely love it because it encapsulates both of those realities so well. And what we're going to do is this. We're going to have a pastor um, in each corner, at least one pastor in each one, in corner over here. If you're going through something right now, where you honestly recognize that there, is, there are things that, that in this next chapter, there are battles you are uncertain about, that you are insecure about. If right now you're, you're just exiting a chapter where you've seen failures, but you're asking God to, in this next chapter that you're walking with him, that you're not going it alone, that you'll actually walk over to the corners and spend some time in prayer and have, have a pastor pray for you, over you, that this next chapter you're going to get a chance to see it is God who is fighting these battles that you can trust in him, the lion of Judah, the lamb who was slain. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and let's belt this out. <laughs>